Hello everyone and welcome back to the Just Interesting People podcast. My name is Rosie and I'm here with my co-host and husband Jeremy as usual. Today we are talking to Angelique. Angelique discovered at the beginning of 2021 in the early 20s that they were autistic. They openly share with us how they and their family felt when they found out and also how it's impacting their life etc. Then Angelique talked to us about identifying as genderqueer or non-binary, what it means for them personally and much more. It's a really educational conversation that we had where you will see that ultimately it all comes down to one thing, like respecting each other and our differences. Hope you enjoyed the show. Hi Angelique, how are you? Hi Jeremy, I'm good. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Thank you so much for being with us today. I really appreciate that you're taking the time uh, to speak with us today. Um, So this is actually going to be an interesting episode for us as well, because Rosie and I are usually next to each other when we record. But actually today she's in England, I'm in France. uh, So it's a real full remote interview. (laughs) Yeah. So hopefully we're going to manage that. before we dive into the episode, as usual, uh, I'm going to explain how we met. So we actually met, Rosie and I met Angelique in January, so six, about yeah six months ago. Uh, we did our yoga teacher training together and we graduated our yoga teacher training together yeah. <laughs> three months ago. And I've got to say that, so we, we talked about the training in the podcast before, but the the yoga teacher training that we did was oriented towards uh, social justice, about accessibility. It was more than just yoga. And I've got to say that thanks to you, I think this training was even better because you shared openly um, about a few topics that we're going to be discussing that I was really ignorant about. Um, for example about autism that's one of the things that we we talked a lot about and that's something I'm really uneducated about it and we had really really amazing conversations that you you brought on the table and yeah I really want to thank you for that because without you this training would have not been the same honestly so yeah (laughs) thank you for that (laughs) thank you I mean that's that's very nice (laughs) Um, yeah, so a few things we talked about the training, yeah, was autism and, and, and you were really open about it. You're really good at explaining to all of us, <laughs> um, some things. And I thought it'd be, it'd be great to share that on a podcast to educate more people, more than the 24 of us or 25 of us <laughs> that did the training. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So maybe before we dive into those multiple topics do you want to tell us just where you come from and yeah where did you grow up yeah um so i grew up in california southern california kind of in a really small city that no one knows about (laughs) um yeah i grew up in california i live in miami now um which is how we met through the the training from warrior flow um yeah, I'm kind of, I. whenever people ask me, like, spontaneous details about myself, my mind just goes blank. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> You're not the only How... one, don't worry. <laughs> How long have you been in Miami? I moved here uh, almost a year ago, um, last oh. July 3rd, actually. So it's going to be hitting the one-year anniversary soon. Yeah. During the pandemic as well, then, you moved oh, while yeah. everything was crazy. 
Yeah, I did. Which, looking back at it, I'm like, how did I do that? <laughs> like, yeah. But I'm glad I did. It was one of the, the best decisions I've made. So, yeah. <laughs> it's, int it's, in it's interesting also because you went from a state that was pretty locked to the most open state in the, in the world. <laughs> like, <laughs> California and Florida really, like, dealt with it differently. So Yeah, definitely. That was also <laughs> one of the, I guess... I guess you can call it like a culture shock when I came. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's very different than how California is going through the, the pandemic for sure. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so one of the things I remember that you, you said during the training we talked about um, when we did talk about autism was that uh, you were diagnosed quite late, if I remember. Uh, mm -hmm. So at... What, what was the process of being diagnosed? I don't even know how that works in a sense. Yeah. So for me, actually, you could say that I don't have what you would call like an official diagnosis, um, which is it's it's kind of a, a controversial part of, um, you know, some discourse about the autism community that we can get into as well. Um, but basically, yeah, I was... I found out that I'm autistic in January, actually, when the three of us met. It was during the training. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, so basically, I had started seeing a new therapist um, in the winter before, so a few months before January, um, because I actually started realizing that I have ADHD. Um, and, you know, it wasn't until moving out of the place I grew up in and going to a completely different space with completely different people in an environment that I started to actually really observe like wait like this things are really hard for me mm -hmm. <laughs> um with ADHD so I started seeing my therapist about that um because I wanted to figure out how to navigate that and yeah by January my therapist during a session was basically like hey I know, you know, you you started seeing me to talk about, you know, having ADHD, but I think you could also be autistic. Mm. And it it was kind of surprising to me because um, at the time I didn't really know much about autism. Mm -hmm. um, you know, no one, there's not a lot of open dialogue about it unless you are actually autistic um, and you know that you're autistic. So... Uh, when my therapist mentioned that, I was like, oh, okay, interesting. <laughs> and um, <laughs> basically, they sent me some assessments. Uh, I took three different autism assessments, and they all came back saying, like, yeah, you're autistic. <laughs> and mm. and wow. once that happened, um, I started processing what that meant, and I started basically researching, you know, autism And uh, I actually started making videos on TikTok because there's a big um, community on TikTok for autistic people. Okay. And it was then I started finding other autistic adults who, you know, were early diagnosed or late diagnosed or self-diagnosed, just talking about their experiences. And it was then, like, for the first time in my life, I was like, oh, my God, like, everything is starting to make sense for me. Mm -hmm. why I've gone through certain things, why I have certain struggles, why I, you know, I perceive the world the way I do. It all started to make sense. Um, but yeah, so I don't have like the quote unquote official paperwork saying, you know, Angelique is autistic. Yeah. Um, and I could 
try to go through that process if I wanted to. It is uh, a pretty inaccessible process, actually. Um, it can be very expensive, uh, even with insurance. Um, the process can be really lengthy. Um, and there's actually a lot of doctors um, who could do that diagnosis that are also ignorant about what it is to be right. autistic. Um, especially for, you know, me, I, you look at me and you think I'm a girl, I'm a female. And for a long time, autism was considered just a thing that boys had. Um, so mm. there's a lot of, there's a lot of error in that diagnosis process, um, for many different reasons. Um, so that's one reason why I've decided not to pursue that. Um, and also just because you really don't need it unless you're trying to get accommodations. Um, like if you're going to school or you need work accommodations and your work, you know, kind of needs proof of a diagnosis. Um, and I don't need that currently. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I technically I am self-diagnosed and that's totally okay with me. I, I know myself more than a doctor knows me. So, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's really basically, true. yeah. <laughs> well, what's interesting about it, and, and I guess it's what also makes it really difficult, is autism is not like an illness like any other, like it's... it's so it, it makes it like really hard and also because something is, is a spectrum it's not like one person that's autistic is totally different than another one it's not just like a you know you, a checklist where you have like oh you have that you have that you have that then path you have it's it's so hard i guess to pinpoint it uh and and, and so that makes it also i guess really hard for apart from the side that probably doctors are not educated about it and everything but it makes it even harder to educate people because it's so broad and wide I guess yeah exactly like there like you said there's no one way to be autistic and there's also mm. no test you know you can't look at someone's blood or DNA or yeah. whatever and say like oh yeah you're autistic there's no uh you know physical test that you can take um so it's all you know self like report basically um, and with that, you know, there's so many stereotypes surrounding the autistic experience that there are doctors or even non-doctors, um, just people who think, you know, oh, you don't fit this stereotype that I've learned about autism in my head. You can't be autistic. Yeah. Um, and that's how so many people go not knowing because they've been taught that they don't fit the stereotype. I personally don't fit certain stereotypes but I'm still very much autistic um and also like you said it is a spectrum and while there's no checklist um there is you know kind of certain criteria um but the thing is every autistic person lives that criteria a different way so let's say one of the main criteria for um autism is you know sensory processing issues my sensory processing uh, can be very different from another autistic person's sensory processing. Um, so that's where, you know, you can't just say, oh, you don't have this, this, and this. That's not autism. Um, so yeah, it's not black and white, clear cut. Um, yeah. And it is a spectrum. Everyone on the spectrum just lives differently. We have things that we relate to each other with, um, but I don't think... 
I've met an autistic person so far where like we're 100% we experience things the same way it's always a little right. different um, which mm-hmm. I, I think is pretty cool yeah it's interesting yeah it's it, it feels I feel it's a lot about feelings and perception and and I you, you need this, some level of self-awareness to probably maybe say like oh I might have those difficulties here and there that maybe means that I am autistic. Uh, you, 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 you need to really know yourself, like you said before. Uh, it, yeah, it makes it really hard. Something also that I remember you you said during the the training that was really interesting, and and I feel there's no rule about it is um, when we talk about someone, do we say a person with autism or an autistic person uh, and and I, I don't think it's the right answer, uh, mm-hmm. but I remember your your argument was really interesting about a person with autism. Autism is not an illness, or I, like you, you had some really good point about it. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So, yeah, I like I said um, in the training, autism is not a, a disease. It's not an illness. Autism. It's, it's just my brain. It's my neurotype. It's how my brain works. Um, and it's, yeah, there's nothing bad. There's no, like, nothing that's making me sick or yeah. anything. You know, autism is just how my brain works. Um, so the majority of the autistic community, um, and I say majority, I mean, there have been surveys done, and I think it was over 80% of the autistic uh, people involved said that they prefer um, identity first language, which is autistic person, um, oh. because it autism may not be, you know, 100% who we are, but it influences every single part of who we are. It influences oh. our thinking, our feelings, our behavior. So it's not who I am, but, you know, it has that influence. Um, And so, you know, calling someone a person with autism, it kind of has this connotation like you're, you're, I'm carrying a burden, you know, Um, which, you know, it's not a burden. It's, and some people may see it as a burden, but really the, the issues that arise from, the autistic experience is when the our environment doesn't is doesn't work for us. <laughs> That's when we have issues. Um, so yeah, I personally prefer being um, referred to as an autistic person. Um, I'm also okay with saying on the spectrum. You know, I'm on the spectrum, but really, I'm just I'm autistic, and it's mm. you know, autistic isn't a bad word, um, and that's kind of the kind of energy that gives off when someone says person with autism it's kind of like they want to tiptoe around the word autistic because they think it's not a good word or it's derogatory and it's not inherently bad um and I would say to anyone who's wondering how to refer to someone who's autistic um if that person hasn't already said you know I'm autistic um then just ask um there are some some autistic people who say you know i prefer a person with autism and that's their business not my business i'm not going to tell them how to refer them to themselves um i would say yeah the safest bet would just be to ask um and 
I, it's really that simple. It's just, yeah, yeah, I prefer this or I prefer that. I'm like, sense. okay. And it's also good to remember, you know, just because one autistic person that you know prefers this way, it doesn't mean every other autistic person is the same. Um, yeah. yeah, everyone's different. And I think it's pretty respectful to ask someone before just throwing words out there. Yeah. yeah. Um, you're just saying as well that everybody's different. I wanted to ask you about you specific, if you don't mind sharing, you specifically what you find is different, not different, What? how do I word this? What What are your, how do I word this? Is it is, is symptoms right? Cause I don't know. No. Symptoms seems like an illness, so yeah. It, I would what say autistic traits or autistic characteristics. Okay, so what are your artistic traits for you personally? Oh, man. <laughs> There's... Uh, there's so many I could bring up. Um, I guess, you know, there's so many different, I feel like there's categories. Um, one of the, I would say kind of the biggest ones that I not deal with, but I come across in my daily life, um, is my sensory processing of different stimuli in my environment, so lights, sounds, um, those are the, I wouldn't say they're like the biggest differences, but I, I struggle more with those kinds of stimuli because of how the world works, how environments are. Um, you know, a lot of places have really bright lights. They have those fluorescent lights all like everywhere. And um, there's always music playing somewhere or cars honking. And for me, those sensory stimuli are very overwhelming. Uh-huh. Um, so that's that's one way that it's pretty obvious to, you know, the people in my life that I experience those things differently than they do. You know, someone, someone honks their car and my my partner's fine he's still walking down the street me i'm covering my ears so i'm like oh that hurt mm-hmm. um so it's stuff like that um and you know i want to add being autistic isn't just characterized by you know struggles things that i struggle with um there's also you know things that could be considered cool or good about my autistic traits it really yeah. is all dependent on the environment i'm in mm-hmm. um so for example, the whole thing with sound, um, like I was saying, you know, loud noises may startle me and overwhelm me and even cause me to, you know, have a meltdown. Um, but I also really enjoy loud music when I can control it. I love blasting my music in my car or my headphones because those are sounds that are they're joyful to me. I can enjoy them. And some music when it's loud, it's like the perfect volume and like the right kind of vibe. Uh, it makes me want to dance. I can't help but, you know, dance from mm. just that feeling of like, oh, like this is so pleasing to my ears. Um, so it's not all bad yeah. things that that's come with autistic traits or struggles. And that's, you know, a lot of people don't know about that or don't think about that. They only think, oh, you're autistic. You have a lot of, you know, you struggle with a lot of stuff. And yeah, that's true. But I also enjoy a lot of things differently than other people do. Yeah. It's interesting how, not in a good way, how (laughs) the media influenced uh, the way we see autistic 
people in a sense that I feel if you watch TV or like a TV show or movie or stuff like that, um, when there is an autistic person in the movie, they always, I feel, I don't know, pick, use, decide the same traits. Uh, you, you always see like, you know, a kid, like, I don't know, there's going to be a loud noise and you, and you have a kid running into the corner and doing like uh, balancing his body. That's something you see like every time in a movie with an autistic person. And also something else is, the, the, the cli- I don't know if it's a cliche, actually, correct me if I'm wrong, but the cliche that also most autistic people are very good at one thing you know like they can do calculation like there's this thing that i don't know that's what i've heard i don't know how many times and i've seen many times when it's probably just i don't know how much of bullshit is that actually (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah that's partly what i mentioned earlier about stereotypes the media loves to just put the same kind of stereotype typical traits into one character and you know if you really look closely at there's not a lot of autistic characters in media that's one thing and when there are they're usually you know uh white a boy um Mm. and you know they have this cluster of traits that would be associated with uh an autistic person who um is like low or higher support needs Mm. um And, you know, some people who are uneducated about autism would say, would call them uh, like low functioning autistic people. The autistic community doesn't uh, like those terms, but a lot of people use them. Um, So that's kind of what I'm referring to. And while there are a lot of autistic people who may, you know, have autistic traits that kind of fit into those stereotypes, um it is just it's all stereotypes and i don't know how to explain it it's just it's not great (laughs) it's not great i've never seen an autistic person in a movie or a show who's like me um you know and i'm sure a lot of my autistic friends can say the same thing um and it just shows that there's just a lot about autism that people don't know about and they think it's only this one representation um and you know like I said there are autistic people who may fit you know whatever stereotypical character is in a certain movie that would be okay if that character was actually played by an autistic person you know what I mean Mm. if it's all it's it's pretty much 99.9% of the time a non-autistic actor being told, you know, how to behave in an autistic way. And they wouldn't, they would not know how that is. Yeah. Um, so that's how we get kind of dramatized performances of what autism is. Um, and yeah, that shapes how a lot of people understand autism too. This, you know, if... I like I, I'm thinking of the movie uh, What's Eating Gilbert Grape. Um, I think that's what it's called. And while Leonardo DiCaprio's character, I don't think they ever say in the movie he's autistic, but you know, you can ask anyone on the street, you know, what's up with that character, and they would say like, oh, you know, he has something going on, or he's autistic, or whatever. Mm. Um, and that's how people associate things. Mm. Um, and yeah, so. It's not great. I don't like it. <laughs> um, 
Makes sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when you were diagnosed, even if it's not official, but mm -hmm. when you found out that mm -hmm. you were well, you, you uh, autistic, did you, what did you feel? Like, did you feel actually maybe like a form of relief because that explained things or or you were sad or you were confused or what, what was the feeling when you knew? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, it, it, it was kind of like a, a whole process of different emotions. So when I first, first found out, you know, I got the results from my assessments and I started looking into, you know, what does this mean? Um, I felt a lot of relief. I think that was the first emotion I felt because now I just had confirmation like, okay, like I'm not, I'm not crazy or like, I'm not the only person who exists like this. Um, so it was very relieving. And that was mostly due to the autistic community that I found online on TikTok. Um, just seeing so many people sharing their experiences and me relating to so many of them was such a relief. Um, it was definitely one of those moments where like, oh, like I'm not alone. Um, and then yeah. I think it wasn't until a few weeks after that, um, you know, it wasn't just like, oh, cool, I'm autistic, great. And I'm just moving on with my life. It's It's been a lot of learning about myself and a lot of uh, reflecting on my life before I found out. Um, you know, as a child and going through school and it was, I definitely went through a, a, a moment of grief as well for my younger self, um, you know, going through the things that I went through, not knowing that I was autistic. It was, it was hard. Part of, you know, the, the hardship of, you know, growing up was definitely due to just not knowing that part of myself. I think knowing that would have helped me feel more secure about myself, um, mm. if that makes sense. And so, yeah, there was a lot of working through those feelings. You know, I definitely had moments where I would remember I'd have a childhood memory and I would just feel so sad for little me just being like, oh, like, I didn't know. And no one else knew, you know, my parents didn't know. And, you know, I, I went through certain things and no one understood why I was reacting the way I did or why I felt the way I did. And I didn't even know, you know, and just thinking about that, like, it's so, it can feel so alienating, not understanding what's going on with your own mm -hmm. feelings. You know, if you can't even understand yourself, and no one else understands you, you just feel really lost. Um, so yeah, I went through relief, even joy, uh, grief. And right now I think I'm going through kind of that phase of, um, I guess, acceptance. Um, because while I have accepted that I'm autistic ever since I found out I think it's it goes deeper into not just accepting you know calling myself autistic but accepting that I now need to relearn what my needs are and how to respect my needs and how to better take care of myself 
you know, because I wasn't taught how to take care of myself in the way that an autistic person needs to take care, needs care. Um, Mm. So, yeah, I'm going through that right now, like figuring out what helps me, what doesn't help me. Um, And it's, I feel like it's, it's caused a whole different phase in my life now, I think. Yeah. That's so interesting. I noticed as well during the training, you had a teddy bear that you would often hold on to. And often on your Instagram post as well, we'll show your Instagram page at the end. You often talk about things that you can use to touch. And I can't remember the word, stimulants or something, is it called? Here is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is, it's my hamster. <laughs> um, yeah, it's stimming. Stimming, um, that was it, yeah. You often yeah. share posts about that and information. And it's so amazing to learn about it. But I don't know if you want to talk about that a little bit as well. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to talk about it. I'm actually, I've been learning a lot more about my own relationship with stimming lately. Um, so yeah, I know people can't see this, but I'm holding my, um, my, my friend Herbert, the hamster, he's a stuffed hamster. Um, and he's soft, but he's also stuffed with lavender. So he smells really nice and super calming. Yes. And you can also like heat him up in the microwave. He's like a little heating pad. (laughs) Yeah. So I had him a lot during my training because I was going through a lot during that time and, you know, having the training, it was kind of overwhelming and. It was nice to have um, this little guy to kind of keep me calm and comfort me. Um, This is one of the ways that when I first found out I'm autistic, I started uh, figuring out stimming. Um, So stimming, basically, I think it's technically short for um, kind of like self-stimulating. It's a purpose for regulating yourself. So, um, and that looks different in different ways. So stimming, whenever I stim, within the context, it's to just regulate my own emotions. Um, So if I'm feeling stressed, um, I can stim in different ways to kind of not necessarily calm myself down because it doesn't always result in that, but just kind of, how do I explain it? It's kind of like I have this energy in my body that I just need to just to get it out I can't bottle it up Uh um so stimming helps with that and I have actually I can show you different ways that I stim so when I first uh realized I'm autistic I started getting stim toys um which you might know as fidget toys um they can be called different things um but autistic people we tend to call them stim toys um so for me I like to stim with my hands um and I I kind of figure that out because I've always uh, unconsciously stimmed with my hands, you know, picking at my nails, um, you know, touching my hair, uh, rubbing like my clothes. Um, So that's kind of a a tactile uh, stimulation that I would do often. And I I realized this and I started getting toys like this is a tangle toy and I can kind of just absentmindedly just kind of fiddle with it. Um, It keeps me from, you know, picking at my nails and stuff. Um, so there's stim toys that there's so many too. Um, some people, some autistic people like to stim with uh, their mouths, so like chewing gum. There's also what's called jewelry, so you can have like a necklace and have a chewable um, mm. kind of like a pendant or something. Like a pendant, you can just, yeah. Yeah, I can just chew on it, um, and it's safe to chew. Um, and recently, I've also been working on allowing myself to stim just with my body, not needing toys. 
or tools to stim, Mm -hmm. which, you know, it might sound odd to someone who's not autistic, um, but it's, it can be a hard process because, you know, stimming, you might be able to kind of recognize that in your own thinking, um, a lot of uh, stimming can be seen in autistic children. Um, so, you know, if you might see some, a child, you know, spinning in circles or um, jumping or throwing themselves on the bed, throwing themselves on the couch, um, you know, uh, it, can, it can appear in so many different ways, um, you know, chewing on stuff. Um, there's so many different ways to stim. And I feel like it's more common to see that in autistic children but because of the way that autistic kids are often taught to suppress their autistic traits, um, there's a lot of autistic adults who have learned to kind of hide that from people and even themselves. So for me, as you know, a late diagnosed autistic um, adult, I, I feel like I went through my whole life until now hiding my stimming in like mm. the most you know unnoticeable way possible which is you know fiddling with my fingers uh-huh. um and now that I know I'm autistic and I know how helpful stimming is for me I've been challenging myself to get more comfortable not um using toys and just stimming with myself so you know that includes rocking back and forth um I also, it's been hard recently because I've been having some health issues with my hands, but I also like to stim with my hands, kind of like uh, hand flapping um, or even like now whenever I do need to hand flap, I make a fist instead. So it's a little more protective from my wrist and I kind of just go like this. (laughs) And um, it's, it's a, it's very diverse stimming. Um, Stimming can be an expression for different emotions so there's like happy stimming um you know there's a tendency to stim when i'm stressed i'm overwhelmed um and there's different stims that help with each of those emotions as well um so it's not like i'll hand flap when i'm scared or stressed and also when i'm happy um there's different Mm. stims for like i guess different categories of emotions um but yeah stimming I think is a really, really important part of my journey with accepting myself um, because there's there's this, um, oh, I don't know what the word is. It's not discrimination. It's another word. I can't think of it. But it's, it's hard to be openly autistic in public, like actually fully authentically autistic because... So many people are uneducated and ignorant about what autism is. And if someone, for example, sees me stimming in public in different ways, they might think something negative about me, you know, or like that person's weird or like they're high or her whatever. And it's really just me taking care of myself. That's really all stimming is. It's just, it's taking care of myself. Um, And... It's very personal to um, autistic people because we all stim in different ways. And I I wish it was more comfortable to do that in front of other people. Um, yeah. It's great to learn about this because I feel like 
if I've previously seen people rocking back and forth, I probably would get worried. I'd be like, oh my God, they need help. Like something's mm-hmm. wrong. Like they're having a mental breakdown or something. Like I would instantly think the worst. I wouldn't think maybe they're autistic and they're self-regulating self, you know, looking after themselves. I would kind of go to that other place. So it's interesting. It's so interesting talking to you and how open you are about it. So thank you so much for sharing everything and to learn. And then if I ever see that again, be like, maybe they do need help, but also maybe they are autistic and that's their way of dealing with whatever's going on at the moment, whether that's good or bad. So it's really great to learn about it for myself, even for me, you know, in future and for everybody else listening as well. I'm sure they're all, you know, people learning as well. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. I think a good rule of thumb is to just never assume (laughs) about people that you, especially people you don't know. Yeah. Um, I just, yeah, don't assume that you know what's going on. Um, and I would say, you know, if it does seem like someone needs help, maybe they're stimming in a way that can be self-harming, you know, maybe they're, they're banging their head on something or, um, you know, they just look like they're in distress, then, mm-hmm. you know, that's it. I think it's usually pretty clear when those moments have yeah. come about, you know, this person needs help. Um, but if someone, you know, they're just doing their thing, they're not bothering you or anybody else, they're not hurting themselves think you know be, res- just, be respectful yeah just be respectful yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mind your business yeah. it sounds it sounds so obvious you're saying it, i'm like well of course <laughs> but like yeah. I, th- I feel like sometimes you need to be told the most basic things and then you're like well of course that makes sense but you kind of need to be told things sometimes i, I know that might i don't oh, know yeah. if that's you do don't you, you just need to be yeah. told like just respect somebody just ask them if you know what they want to be called just ask them if they're okay or just presu- like i don't know it's just yeah yeah I'm learning. I always, I, uh, I always learn a lot from you, either yeah. through the yoga training, through Instagram, through this conversation. It's great. I, I'm glad. That, I'm glad to hear that. How did your parents and siblings? If you have, do you have siblings? Mm-hmm, I do. Yeah. How did your parents and siblings uh, react to to this information? And maybe was I like, oh, that explained things, or how did you deal with it? Yeah. Um, so it's, it's kind of complicated, uh, with my family's reaction. You know, I live far away from them now. They're all in California Mm. and I'm here. Um, and you know, I I will admit I was nervous to tell them just because I know how prevalent, you know, stereotypes are about autism. Um, so I kind of had to brace myself, you know, um, but I did, I did tell them I ended up making just a group chat with my, I have three brothers and my parents. Um, and I just said like, Hey, I found out recently, uh, that I'm autistic and, you know, I'm happy about that. I let them know this is, this is good news. (laughs) And, um, you know, this has been a really great thing for me to learn about myself. Um, and yeah. And then, my parents, um, we t- I think we had a phone call about it like the next day and just um, kind of talking about it and like how this came about. Um, and it was, it's been interesting. <laughs> we haven't really talked about it much. Um, you know, they, they try, I think they try to be, you know, accepting and supportive but it's hard when someone just doesn't know as much as you know. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
Um, oh, yeah. And it's not like I can, you know, sit here and just explain the entire, you know, autism spectrum to someone. Um, and it's hard for people to, I guess, unlearn those stereotypes or negative I like beliefs that they've learned from the media and other people um when you're not when you don't have that experience as an autistic person um so yeah it's it's a process for sure um I I do wish there was not just for my family but other people you know in my life or just in general I wish there was more of an effort to learn um, not just about, you know, what autism is or what being autistic is like, but how to support an autistic person in your life. Um, I feel like because of the negative connotation around autism, you know, it's seen as an illness or uh, a disorder, um, something to, you know, avoid talking about. Um I feel like it's a common experience when an autistic person tells someone, hey, I'm autistic, a lot of people try to, you know, push away that topic or change the subject or they're just like, oh, okay, and they don't want to talk about it anymore because, you know, it's been seen so long as like a taboo or like, oh, like we don't talk about that or whatever you want to say. Um, And yeah, I, I, I guess I just wish there was more openness um around not just autism but a lot of topics that seem you know impolite or you know inappropriate to talk about because these are it's just my life nice it's It's nice it's just life (laughs) (laughs) we can talk about it it's okay yeah (laughs) um so yeah it's it's definitely still a problem i mean i I just learned what six months ago um you know with the pandemic and everything being states away uh, from your family is very different than how it would have been two years ago. Um, yeah. yeah. There's something you shared on your Instagram. I'm pre- I, I wrote it down in my notes. I'm pretty <laughs> sure I picked it from your Instagram. Um, that I really, I thought it was really well said. It was, uh, I don't know if you quoted or if it's coming from you, but it was saying, if you're not autistic... Ask what you can do to help autistic people feel loved, respected, supported, and appreciated. So that was, that says it all, you know, it's, <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, it could be with every human being anyway. Uh, yeah. Actually. Yeah. Um, but exactly. you, you just mentioned that, like, so, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to kind of return this question, you know, like, what could we do as sadly uneducated people about that? Uh, what can we do to make autistic people feel you know loved and respected and supported like the basics that we can do yeah I I've been thinking about that and I, I think on an individual level um, I think the the most meaningful way to accomplish that is pretty much what I said I think I posted that for um, autistic pride day but just asking um, you know, asking, you know, how how do you prefer to be, um, you know, referred to autistic person or person with autism, having those conversations, asking, you know, how can I help you um, when we're in stressful environments? What do you need? Um, And 
I think for people who maybe don't have a close person in their life who's autistic, learning from actually autistic people. Um, Hmm. And, you know, that's more possible than ever right now. I feel like during the pandemic, um, I've noticed there's been like kind of a surge online of autistic people talking about it, um, about their experiences. And there's so many great people who are actually, you know, they have whole Instagram pages dedicated to educating people about being autistic. And I'm not one of those people. I just talk about, you know, my personal experiences and I I share those kinds of posts all the time. But there are actual autistic educators talking about these things. Um, I think that's a really great effort to make, you know, follow these people, read their posts and actually think about how, you know, you as a non-autistic person hold certain biases or certain stereotypes. Um, And... Yeah, I think just learning is one of the most meaningful ways you can help. Because once you start learning about autistic people and how we live and what we need, that's how you learn, okay, how to support us, how to love us, how to respect us. Um, And yeah, so learning, asking questions, I think is is a good step. (laughs) Yeah. That reminds me uh, a video actually we watched during the training. Uh, I think it was a TED talk um, from an autistic person. She said something that was so obvious. Like it's, I mean, it's the kind of thing you never think about it, but it was so obvious. Uh, like she, she was explaining about when she's going to a supermarket or stuff like that. Like it's really bright and noisy, and that's really hard for her, uh, as you mentioned as well. And and the whole thing was like, why don't we just adapt? Like, there's no need to have music and super bright lights in a supermarket. It doesn't help, you know. It's not like a necessity. It's just, mm-hmm. I don't know why it's like that. But it, 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 it still works, you know. We can still do shopping and everything else. It'll be the same. But if by changing that, we could help, I don't know how many thousands of people be more comfortable going to the mall or shopping or whatever why don't we do it you know like and yeah. i mean part of it is probably ignorance again because most people just don't know about it um but yeah like watch youtube listen to people because yeah it's little things that we can do little changes in our lives and world that would improve drastically the life of other people and it would not, yeah. not even cost anything you know <laughs> so yeah exactly there's there's little things and yeah there's also bigger things that as a society we can do to make things more accessible yeah like grocery stores we don't need a hundred fluorescent lights in a grocery (laughs) store to see you know like and music playing and um that made me think of you know little ways that my own partner has adapted our home life um because he we didn't know that uh i was autistic when we met we've been together almost three years and so he's also been learning with me about me (laughs) and how to support me and it made me think of one of the things that he's started recently getting in the habit of doing whenever he's filling his cup with ice from the the freezer he lets me know like hey i'm gonna get ice and i cover my ears because the sound of the ice falling into the cup is just so uncomfortable for me um so now it's it's become a habit like hey i'm gonna get ice i'm like okay cover my ears and then it's over and that is just 
one less moment of discomfort and stress throughout my day. So that's an example of little things that someone can do, you know, like, hey, I'm going to turn on another light, like, and then I, you know, if my partner said it to me, I'd be like, okay, let me get my tinted glasses or like, actually, can you not, (laughs) can you not do that? And, you know, we can go from there, we can figure something out. Um, So there's little ways like that. And, you know, as far as um, kind of bigger picture stuff, you know, like supermarkets or parking lots or malls, uh, businesses, you know, we do have to, yeah, airports, there unfortunately is very, there's not going to be a a way to 100% make public spaces accessible for everyone. Um, cause what's accessible for one person may be inaccessible for another. Um, but I do think there's a lot of room for improvement, um, to get as close to 100% as possible. And like you said, a lot of that is just because people aren't aware, but there's also the unfortunate truth that a lot of people just don't care or they don't take it seriously. You know, there's... It sucks, you know, if I tell someone, you know, hey, can you not play your music so loud? My ears hurt. There are people who are going to say, I don't care. And that's just, unfortunately, the reality of it. But I try to be optimistic and think, you know, I think the majority of people are nice and would would want to help. They just need to learn how. Um, Yeah. Yeah. After like, I mean, what you're saying anyway is just respecting people uh, around you. Yeah. that's just yeah and this work to do or not <laughs> as, a gen- yes. as a society anyway so that i mean yeah that's just what it is but yeah, yeah. It, it's interesting how very often when we have big problems like that the, the solution is often the same like education and curiosity and and asking and Respect. being respectful like it's really by always come to the basic things like just be a nice person damn it like you know that's it it's not that hard (laughs) exactly and it just made me think i think the most simple way to show that respect or support um you know even if you're in a situation where you you know you can't just go up and ask someone about their being autistic um it made me think of a supermarket you know I wouldn't want random strangers to ask me like, hey, you're autistic, how can I support you? Um, but there's also the the most smallest way and simple way to do is if you see someone out in public who to you seems different or maybe even strange or odd, mind your business, you know? Don't, don't give them a hard time about it, you know? If someone's walking around with sunglasses inside, don't be a jerk and ask like, why are you wearing sunglasses, you know? like mind your business <laughs> i think that's yeah. the very the least someone can do you know just don't give people a hard time for being you know quote unquote weird or odd yeah. or different than how you think people should be because being different isn't bad yeah not at all yeah um so we talked about the fact that it's good to ask people if they like autistic people or people with autism like which way they like to be preferred Mm -hmm. and just before we started recording the podcast I asked you about pronouns because you're non-binary um so I'd love for you to talk to us about what non-binary means what that means for you and your experience 
with that and also what your pronouns are because I kind of want to make it more normal to ask people what their pronouns are so what are your pronouns and everybody can learn from this it's it's <laughs> hard the first time but I think the more that we get used to doing it and make it normal I I hope people would appreciate that so yeah definitely yeah. thank you for asking um <laughs> yeah so my pronouns are they she so kind of like a mix of they them she her mm-hmm. um and I, I've actually, I know during our training, I uh, referred to myself as non-binary. I've kind of shifted uh, into identifying as gender queer, which is kind of under the umbrella um, mm-hmm. of non-binary. And that's a whole other like topic that we could like talk about forever. It's just all the different um, terms that are under certain kind of umbrella terms. Um, but for me, I call myself gender queer because how do I explain it? It's just like a, a feeling about my own gender. Um, I don't feel a kind of um, like I don't fit into womanhood, mm-hmm. but I also don't fit in manhood. What it is to be a man, what it is to be a woman. I'm just kind of here existing just being me um and you know I don't have my gender identity 100% figured out I think that's probably a lifelong just kind of journey um but for me being gender queer the the word queer it pretty much encompasses every part of who I am um you know there I could say I'm neuroqueer, which is kind of like a new age term um, that's coming up um, for neurodivergent people who are also mm-hmm. queer because our neurodivergence and our uh, relationship with queerness or sexuality or gender identity are intertwined. Um, they influence one uh, each other. Mm. Um, so yeah, I can call myself neuroqueer. My gender is queer. My sexuality is queer. Um, everything I am kind of doesn't fit into the neat little boxes that society wants me to fit into. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's pretty much all it is. Um, so I don't fit into, you know, what society says womanhood is or what manhood is. Um, I'm just me and yeah, <laughs> that's how I can describe it. I think there's sometimes questions in terms of gender identity and also sexuality in terms of being transgender but then also being straight or gay or like liking certain sexes and it's kind of for me as a straight cis white woman (laughs) it is a little bit of a minefield I'll be honest in terms of like all the umbrella terms like you said about being non-binary or gender queer or like all these different things it's so much for me personally, I'm taking a part of myself to learn about all these different things and what that means and how they're different and all their different, like how they alter and what that means for different people as well. Cause you can, I think, I guess it's a bit like autism. You can say that you're something, but it doesn't mean you're identical to the other person who is this something, whatever the identity is. And it's such a, a I don't know. It's just such a vast topic of newness to me honestly it's it's all new to me and it's it's something that I do want to learn about which is obviously why it's great to talk to people like yourself um yeah I don't really have a question I'm just talking now <laughs> Jeremy you can take over oh yeah that's totally fair 
no, but yeah, actually, it's interesting because one of the things I, I, I wrote down in my notes, um, like before recording this episode, I, I watched a few YouTube videos about non-binary. This is something I'm really, really ignorant about. Um, so I wanted to have a little bit of understanding before talking to you. And yeah, something that I, I've seen was interesting is gender and gender identity. It's separate from sexual orientation. It's two different things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, which that was I don't know yeah like for me I I, I don't know I, I was seeing it as the same thing but that was really interesting mm-hmm. to to um, yeah to, to get this point I've never actually thought about it um, like on a more like personal level like if that's even a thing and when did you start to feel you didn't identify to the classic uh, gen binary gender like well when when did you realize that when did you come up like oh maybe i don't identify as you know womanhood like the classical term of womanhood yeah um it's actually kind of recent for me uh my timeline with my gender and my sexuality are completely different i started uh you know learning about my own sexuality when i was younger um, but with my gender, I the first time I really started thinking about it was last summer, right before, no, yeah, right around the time that I moved to Miami. Um, and, you know, I had known or heard about, um, you know, different gender identities. And I, I mean, I, I'm queer. I've always been supportive of, you know, trans people and non-binary people, but for some reason, I never really thought of it in terms of myself. I kind of just had this default, like, because I've always been told, you know, I'm a girl, I'm a woman. Um, But when I started thinking about it, and I started seeing other people describing their understandings of their own gender, um, I kind of realized, like, whenever, like, for example, whenever there was a talk about, you know, women's rights or the women's movement, or anything to do with women as a collective, I realized that I didn't feel connected or like part of that. Um, mm-hmm. I kind of saw myself a little bit on the outside of that collective group. Um, so, and I noticed too, whenever I would talk about things like that, I wouldn't say, if I was talking about women, I wouldn't say, you know, we women, I would say, you know, women, they, you know, oh. blah, blah, blah. I wasn't really including myself. And that, that was kind of like a subconscious thing that I was just doing because I guess subconsciously I didn't feel comfortable, you know, grouping myself in that way. Yeah, you didn't relate to yeah. whatever it was. Yeah, It was separate from me. So that's, I, once I started observing those things within myself, I was like, oh, okay, interesting. Let me like explore this. And I started learning more. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much how I kind of started that whole journey and I'm still going through it now trying to what well, I think now I've kind of accepted that I don't need uh, a like a clear cut or like permanent label yeah I was um, gonna say that it's a label at the end I mean at, at yeah. the end you are who you are and it's just society is giving us this label because of well it's just the way we do it I don't know why <laughs> it's just society yeah. Every, again everything and, needs and, a label and, and pa- <laughs> yeah and paper and everything and we just need to label everything and everyone uh but ultimately i mean yeah like yeah as as long as you feel 
okay with yourself and with who you are and feel yeah good in your body and with who you are that's i mean that's all yeah. it matters at the end i will say you know some labels can be very important and very helpful for people you know like the label autistic if i didn't have that label my understanding of myself would be completely different so there are mm. i'm not anti-label it's just <laughs> for me personally i don't think every label has to be permanent you know, it's not mm. written in permanent marker. I can always learn something new about myself. I'm like, hey, this label that I had previously, it's changed now. Or my understanding of it has changed. Um, and that's okay, you know. my Our whole lives, it's a learning process. We're never done learning about ourselves, I think. The, so this, this self-journey that you've been uh, exploring... Uh, did it have any impact, for example, in your relationship with your partner? Like, I've noticed you say partner, not boyfriend. I don't know if it's, I don't know, just because you're used to it, that's one of the things. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so my partner has been learning about, you know, gender identity with me because this is kind of new for me too. Um, even though I've been part of the LGBTQ community. Um, and I say, I call him my partner uh, most of the time, I'd say like 99% of the time, I rarely call him my boyfriend. Um, and I actually, I was doing that before I even started um, discovering my understanding of my gender identity. Um, I've just always liked partner because it kind of, it feels more um, like official, not official, kind of like... Mm -hmm. I think <laughs> I more know. adult as well. I think yeah, I was going to say like more adult. Yeah. Yeah. Like he yeah. he's not my my high school boyfriend, you know, like yeah. he's my life partner, you know. And yeah. with that, it also goes with my belief that like uh I don't have to be married to have a life partner. You know, we're not married. We want to get married. Um mm -hmm. but he's still he's my person. Uh he's not just my boyfriend. Boyfriend sounds a little casual to me, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Um, I like I like I, I really like the sensor actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, before I even started um, my whole gender identity uh, understanding, I was calling him my partner. Um, and not only does it sound more adult, but it also makes it like a little, it's kind of like a little signal to other queer people that I'm not straight, <laughs> if that makes sense. Because um, if, you know, I just look like, you know, some girl on the street. Um, but if I say, oh, this is my partner, that's kind of like a, like a little signal to someone else being like, oh, okay. Like they're not going with the traditional, you know, like boyfriend, girlfriend. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's kind of a another cool part of it. I just think it's a little signifier, like I'm not traditional. <laughs> um, and yeah, but mostly it's the, the feeling of, you know, this is my life partner. He's not just someone I'm dating. Mm -hmm. um yeah and you know with that not only that kind of label or term um that I've been playing around with but also you know pronouns getting more comfortable using different pronouns with uh my partner um and you know it's a learning curve for people who don't understand and you know there are times when I have to talk to him like hey like 
um, I would appreciate it if you, you know, said this more or didn't say this about me. Um, and it's not in a way that's like chastising, but it's just a learning process. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, definitely in the beginning when I first brought it up, I was it was a little scary. I think it's scary for a lot of people because you never really know how people are going to react. Even if you're close with that person, if they love you and you love them, um, you never really know what kind of initial response they're going to have. But I think with time, you know, things get more comfortable and easier to understand and learn. And that's, I think that's a good sign of a good relationship when someone's willing to learn with you. I was literally going to say it's so cool that you have someone who is so supportive and just like I don't know because I think it you know it could have been very easy for somebody to be like this is too much this is too weird I'm out bye and just do you know what I mean like that sounds harsh I know but it could have been very easy for a lot of people to do that so it's amazing that you've got somebody who wants to be with you wants to help you and helps you with your autism and is also on this journey with you in terms of your gender identity and it's just it's great that you have that support system with somebody that you love and that you're with. Like, that's great. I think a lot of people probably don't have that. And it's, I imagine it could be quite lonely trying to figure these things out on your own rather than having somebody there with you. Kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think about that a lot, actually, like just how lucky I am uh, to have the partner that I have, because like you said, there's a lot of people who don't have that. Um, unfortunately, there are people who, would jump ship at the first sign of something that doesn't fit their expectations of the other person or their relationship. Um, It's unfortunately very easy for people to, you know, just cut and run (laughs) when things get a little, you know, a little weird or a little rocky um, or unexpected. And yeah, my, I'm very lucky. My partner is my best friend in the world. And we've this whole year, you know, there's been the pandemic there's been, you know, me figuring out my gender. There's been me finding out I'm autistic. Um, and now, you know, I, we got COVID and now I'm dealing with, you know, possibly being, you know, physically disabled for a long time from long COVID. And a lot of relationships probably would have gotten very uh, rocky during all this and probably would have broken apart or been damaged and uh I I really think that my relationship has just gotten more intimate and stronger and I'm very grateful for that oh I'm so happy to hear that (laughs) there's so many there's so many couples that I know that like don't have the gender and the autism thing to deal with just the just the covid enough has broken up lots of couples so the fact that you've got through covid and the pandemic and everything going on and also having it yourself and everything else you've been going on it's just been Yay, I'm so happy for you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's in the ultimate test. I hope there are no more tests for a long oh, time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. That's more for a lifetime, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know if that's a right question to ask. Like, tell me if I'm going, like, totally wrong. Um, uh-huh. But I, I feel like it, uh, it's in my head. <laughs> yeah, go for I want to ask you... Um, I think I, I I think I understand what you mean, uh, but what when I was reading about 
non-binary as well and listening to you i something that came to my head was like being born in the wrong body in the wrong sex i don't like these kind of things um but but i feel it's totally wrong Mm -hmm. uh it's more like a well i mean yeah can you tell me what you think about that yeah why i'm wrong about that yeah that's actually a really good question um and when i was first learning about you know trans identity that was something that i feel like i saw or like read about a lot that that phrase like being born in the wrong body Mm. and it's been a few years um since i've you know actively been part of the lgbtq community and i'm I don't speak for everyone, of course, but from what I've gathered, um, I think what you said is pretty much correct. It's not so much being born in the wrong body because there are trans people who love their bodies. They like their bodies. They don't want to have surgeries that alter their bodies. They're because my understanding of gender, it's not physical. Um, there are physical expressions of, of, you know, expressing your gender, but it's not, there's no one physical way to be your gender. Um, And your gender is who you are, not what you look like. Um, And so I know there are trans people who do not like, you know, the description of, you know, trans people are born in the wrong bodies because there are, believe it or not, trans people who don't want surgeries and who love their bodies. Um, I think it's more being born in a world that doesn't accept who you are. That's pretty much what it is. It's being born in a world that expects you to meet a certain standard for everything, for gender, for sexuality. The standard is uh you know cis not trans and straight that's the societal standard um and so being born in a world like that and you don't fit that standard it's very stressful (laughs) and Mm. it's traumatic um and i think that's that's a big part of the experience it's not really a lot to do with your body and but i will say you know there are things that trans people can do uh, with their bodies that help alleviate um, some gender dysphoria, you know, um, that aren't surgery. There's a lot of uh, trans people now who are learning how to bind, um, which is basically, you know, wearing a binder or something compressive um, in the chest area to kind of compress it, make it less noticeable. And that's really helpful. Um, There's so many different ways. And... Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's not what you look like. It's just mm. who you are. And every it's it's it could be the same for everyone. Everyone is different, no matter what we're talking about. We're talking about yeah. the autism spectrum, we're talking about gender, sexuality. Everyone is different. Um and yeah, that's it. <laughs> I think even in terms of like you said that about I mean, even as a straight cis woman I can dress completely different to another cis straight woman or in terms of liking men, I can like Jeremy men (laughs) and somebody else can like not Jeremy men. Like it's just everyone's different whether you're autistic or not, whether you're bi or not, whether you're trans or not, whether you're this or like, it's just everyone's different. 
And I think the sooner that everybody realizes that and gets over the fact that people live lives differently and it's actually a celebration, there's nothing wrong. It's nothing like, yeah, it's different, but in a good way, like it's, it should be celebrated, I think. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, so it's just because we have this need to understand everything. I mean, uh, okay, I have this need. I need to understand everything because <laughs> I'm really like scientific stuff and I'm like, I need to understand what's going on in the brain of this person so it makes sense for me. When It's mm-hmm. not necessary. It doesn't have to. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't yeah. matter. Uh, it's, it's just me being like, yeah. Uh, I, I That's interesting because I'm kind of that way too. I do kind of have this inclination. Like I want to, I need to understand uh, what someone else is thinking or feeling. But one thing I've learned um, recently, it's it's not so important if someone understands me or relates to me, as long as they respect me. Yeah. I think that's the biggest yeah. thing. You don't have to be able to relate. Or you don't have to know what it's like to be in someone else's shoes to respect them as a person. Mm. Um, it's not that hard. <laughs> and. Yeah. There are a lot of people, you know, who are resistant to that and they think if they don't understand what it's like to be someone else, they think, you know, it's not real, it's fake or whatever. Um, but like I said, everyone's different and it's totally fine. <laughs> yeah. So I'm trying to come up in my head, in my, my, my brain that needs to have a definition for everything. It's trying to... <laughs> make its own definition of non-binary w- would you say something like you don't like society created this concept of a man and a woman right because it's i mean there is the sex but there is the the, the concept like, of what we do as like man what a man should be and what a woman should be in our society and everything and it's actually interesting because it's really different based on the cultures so i mean this I was going to say really? that changes like different yeah. countries and different cultures and different customs and everything changes yeah. what like men the, and women the, should be. Let's say that the checklist is really different, uh, yeah, depending on the country and everything. But but would you say that a non-binary just doesn't relate basically to those lists, to, to those points, uh, to actually none of them? Um, so the idea is to try to break the norm about this just A or B, I can just be who I am, um, and and the label is gonna be non-binary now. But uh, is, is is that like a good definition? Like, yeah, I would say that's a good way to explain it. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty much acknowledging that yeah, a non-binary person does not fit the gender binary. You know, the binary is man woman, boy, girl, um, and those are different than the sexes, and there's not even two sexes, um, really, if you think about it, yeah, there are not just, <laughs> there's not just male and female, there's uh, many different ways to be, <laughs> um, which, you know, I'm not a scientist, I don't know all the technical terms, but you should look it up, look up intersex, okay. um, there, there's, yeah, there's a whole other world out there of understanding about, um, sex and gender, um, but yeah, as far as gender goes, non-binary, when I first started understanding it, it's, you know, it's in the name, non-binary, it's not in that constructed binary of man and woman, um, and, it has become kind of like a, a popular word 
um, I would say, uh, recently. And for me, as my understanding is shifting, I've kind of, the reason, one of the reasons why I shifted from non-binary to genderqueer is because I've seen a lot of, uh, I guess, cis people, um, you know, non, people who are not non-binary or genderqueer, um, saying they're kind of treating it as like a third gender and that's not what it is um non-binary is not just another gender it's there's like i said the under the umbrella there's a gender which is not having any gender um oh. which could be argued is what i experience i just like the term gender queer just it just sounds better for me <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah so there's this there's this struggle going on where you know, because like Jeremy said, people need to understand things in the way that, you know, they feel like they need to, they want to put, they want to add another box instead yeah. of completely opening up the box and getting rid of the box, Yeah. you know? Um, so instead of thinking of these is, you know, are you male or I mean, are you man or woman or non-binary? It's just like, I just am who I am, and I Are might you a have person? Tick. yeah, like I might have a label for it. I might not, um, and yeah. So that's my understanding. It's not a third, gen- not a third gender. It's just another way of existing in a gendered world. Yeah, just accepting that there is like a wider range of possibilities in a sense. I don't know because um, I guess it can be really different. Like we, I mean, be like we said about um, autism. Like it can it can just be expressed and felt in really different way. You know, like f- for you, it's what it is. Uh, I don't know. I'm I'm gonna take a really like maybe wrong analogy, but like, I guess you know it's like again this classification man woman like about what we should wear. You know, or like if a man wants to put makeup and wear a dress or whatever, like as a man, he's gonna be considered as a weirdo or whatever or whatever uh, when maybe he's just you know like what he likes to wear or do or thing and um yeah and i guess he's breaking up the code a bit of like yeah he can pick and choose like and yeah and and be yeah and be who he is as you said as you said exactly yeah. and there's a good um point in there too as you're giving that example uh, I think there's this idea that if you don't fit into the stereotypical, you know, man, woman, um, you, you know, you start thinking or people look at you and say like, oh, like you're gay or you're trans. You know, if you're a man who likes to wear makeup or wear nail polish or whatever, it's something that's not seen as traditionally manly. Um, you know, there's speculation and... Mm-hmm. I think a big point of un unboxing gender, I guess, and not and just getting away from this binary understanding of what a man is supposed to be like, what a woman is supposed to be like. Um, like you said, it's just being yourself and being free, and you can identify as a man and still enjoy you know, traditionally feminine things. It doesn't make you any less of a man. It's the same way I can be genderqueer. You know, I don't identify with being a man or a woman, but I do enjoy some things that are traditionally 
feminine or traditionally masculine. Yeah, um, you don't reject the whole thing. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and that's, I think that's a concept that a lot of people just aren't comfortable with. Mm. Yeah. It, you, yeah, you go on, a lot of food for thought for Jeremy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can see his brain ticking. He's like, hmm. <laughs> no, I feel like in a sense it's, it's much easier. I mean, um, just to keep the analogy of like, you know, wearing clothes or makeup or, or, or stuff like that. I mean, yeah, at the end, you know, if a woman wants to wear a suit all day to go to work, yeah, a lot of people are going to say, oh, you know, like she she's a really manly woman, so she's probably a lesbian and or like those kind of cliche and, and assumption that we all make. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm guilty of that, to be honest. Um, when, yeah, maybe it's just, you know, this person feels more comfortable wearing this just because it is like we don't we don't need to find an explanation about it like it's just what it is uh yeah yeah it's yeah. much easier yeah there doesn't have to be a clear-cut <laughs> yeah. you know name for whatever it is just like okay cool. mm. <laughs> we all yeah. express ourselves in different ways that's cool Okay, so while we let Jeremy think that over and <laughs> figure out what's going on, could you talk to me about your yoga? Because you're now teaching yoga because mm-hmm. you did the teach training with us. Could you talk to me about why your yoga teacher teaching is special to you and what you, who you hope to help and what you hope to do? And Yeah, I'd love to. Um, oh my gosh, there's so much. I There's so much that has happened just in my like relationship with yoga from the last time we like talked during our training. Um, You know, when, when I first, when we first graduated from the training, I'd only taught, you know, a few classes uh, before I got sick with COVID and I wasn't able to do yoga for a few months um, because of that. And that has now completely shifted my I like my relationship with yoga and my goal as you know someone in the yoga world or profession whatever you want to call it um because now you know like you said we did uh our training was centered on you know accessibility um and uh social social justice and going into it after graduating my plan I wanted to be a yoga teacher um that you know made i guess what's what's the term i guess more uh understanding and also more resources for other autistic people like myself um because there are a lot of ways in which yoga uh you know mainstream uh yoga is not accessible for neurodivergent people Um, So that was my goal going into it. You know, I graduated and I was excited to start doing that and um, figuring out how to bring yoga practice to, you know, my artistic friends, my artistic community. And now that door has kind of opened up to a wider group of people, which is just the disabled community in general, because, you know, I... I guess you could say I have long COVID. I'm experiencing long-term symptoms or conditions, I guess, from having COVID a few months ago. Um, 
and I am considered now, you know, disabled physically. I, my physical abilities are not what they were a few months ago. Um, And so with that, I've been having to figure out my relationship with my own practice and how I want to move forward uh, teaching other people. Um, And, you know, it's, it's difficult, um, you know, to go through something like that, just suddenly becoming disabled um, physically. But now, as I'm getting ready to get back to teaching, it's kind of exciting for me. Because while accessible yoga is kind of like a, a in growing in popularity, I think in the yoga world, I don't see a lot of disabled yoga teachers, which to me is kind of ironic (laughs) you know how can you make yoga accessible if you don't have people who need yoga to be accessible you know leading that yeah um so now I'm I'm figuring that out I'm trying to see you know not only what I can do in my yoga practice that's different from how I used to do it um but also learning about other people and how I can uh practice with them Um, and yeah, I, I'm planning to get back to like officially teaching next month in July, which is basically next week. Um, (laughs) and it's, (laughs) it's kind of daunting because I can't do what a lot of yoga teachers do. I can't teach four or five classes a day. Um, I can't even teach that much in a week now. Um, and so, yeah, it's going to be interesting. And I think just my ultimate, I don't really have a goal, but I would just like to kind of, I would like to help bring more awareness and understanding within the yoga community, you know, about the disabled community. Um, I just don't think there's enough. I think there's a there's a lot of room for improvement there. And hopefully yeah, I can sure. be one person to help kind of move that forward. Yeah. Yeah. And and you know, there is do the best that do the best you can. Um and yeah, even if you can't be teaching four classes a day or whatever, uh you're gonna be part of the of this change you're going to be driving everything into the right direction and that might inspire someone else that, you know, can teach another class a day and someone else. And at the end, you'll be, rather than you teaching four classes a day, it can just be four of you teaching one day. You know, I mean, you know, it's those solutions, but you might inspire people and you're going to, um, yeah, like just raise awareness and, and show that there is another way, there's different possibilities about it and you don't have to carry everything on your shoulders. Mm-hmm. Uh, just do the best just do the best you can and you know that's <laughs> that's all you can do and it's more than it's more than enough <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah um i've got one last question for you okay. um <laughs> it's a question we ask everyone at the end of the episode um is if you could have a conversation with someone dead or alive famous or no it doesn't matter it can be anyone who ever lived or is living uh 
with a person that you think is like the most interesting pe- person in your eyes, uh, who would you pick and why? Mm, that is a good question. <laughs> who I think is the most interesting? Yeah, in your eyes. Could be someone famous. It can be your great grandma you've never met. It can <laughs> like, you know, it doesn't really matter. Just no, um. I thought of someone immediately, and I pretty much, whenever someone asks me a question like that, I always pick this person. Um, I think it would probably be Frida Kahlo. Mm-hmm. Um, I have admired just her as a person since I was younger. Um, yeah, I think it would be really cool to talk to Frida Kahlo uh, because not only was she so influential in the art world um she was also i think she's one of the first few examples that i had of a woman who just did not give a fuck (laughs) and you know she she bent her expression of her own gender you could say you know she wore men's clothing sometimes she she slept with different people of different genders and she was open about it um she was a big part of like the mexican culture um and she was physically disabled and she was an incredible artist because of all of those things um i just think Mm -hmm. it would be so cool to talk to her and Think, talking about it now, I've realized, like, oh, my gosh, I have some things in common with Frida Kahlo <laughs> that I didn't really didn't really think about before. Um, but, yeah, that would be amazing. <laughs> if I had a time machine, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Good answer. We've not heard that one before. Yeah, no, it's so interesting because everybody says different people. It's so interesting to hear, like, who it would be and why. Yeah. So. It's, a, it's a cool thing to think about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What? Well, Thank you so much, Angelique, for being so open, answering all my questions. <laughs> um, I've learned a lot from you during the training, and I've learned a lot from you during this hour and a half that we've been chatting. So we thank you for educating people like myself. Uh, it's much needed. Uh, so keep sharing it, you know, on social media and whatever you're going to be doing later, because um, it's needed and it, it could solve a lot of problems um and it's great to have people like you that are willing to talk about it and also accepting that people don't know uh and okay to answer all the questions and also okay to say you know like this is not the way you should ask or whatever like you're really open and good and nice about it so i really appreciate that thank you yeah thank you so much for having me i I will admit I was nervous about this interview because <laughs> I just didn't know what I was going to say or, you know, I have trouble explaining my thoughts sometimes. Um, but I had a good time. I'm glad that we got to do this. And I do hope that whoever listens to this, um, it can kind of propel them to to make that effort to learn more than they already know. Um, and yeah, it's never too late to learn something new about other people or yourself mm. and it's never bad to ask questions in my opinion as long as you ask, you ask them respectfully yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
ask questions, learn as much as you can, and you might be surprised what what answers you get. If people want to get in touch with you either for yoga classes or to talk about autism or to talk just about anything in general with you, where can they, where's the best place? Is Instagram? Yeah, my Instagram, it's uh, Adi Yogi Flow, uh, A-U-T-I-E-Y-O-G-I and Flow. Um, okay. Yeah, that, I pretty much talk about everything on there and you can also book yoga classes with me through there as well. What okay, about your perfect. TikTok? Because I follow on Instagram, but I didn't see you on TikTok. What's your TikTok if you're still posting there? TikTok, I haven't really been that active on. Um, and I kind of keep that more personal. I don't really okay. do professional stuff on there right now. Um, okay. Yeah, that's more just my autistic space online. <laughs> but yeah. I mean, if there are people who would like to follow me on there for autistic um, content related things, uh what is my name on there it's at a bundle of sun just all lowercase just straight up a bundle of sun we'll make sure to link it in the show notes but thank you so much angelique for being here for talking to us for being so open and honest and wonderful um it really was great um thank you so much for everybody listening we really hope you enjoyed this episode if you did make sure you share it with somebody who also might want to listen um go and say hello to angelique on social media say hello from us and we will see you next week with a brand new episode thank you everyone bye